0: Oh, heaven, king, the comfort of the spirit of truth, who a are present, to fill us all things. Treasure your blessings, you give our life, come and abide in us, and consist from every impurity, and save our souls. A good one, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Somebody asked about heaven and hell last week. <laughs> yep. What questions did you have? Did you happen to read
1: the Hapka? Uh, no, I haven't said it yet. Um, I think it was...
2: Sorry. <laughs> 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 I have not done that in the reading, so I was very uh, proud to be able to say that. I read all
1: of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, had at the end of the class talking about um, what other um, Protestants conceptualize about hell uh-huh. um, versus what Orthodox does. Right. And um, you had s- said that it's more so what, how people cons- conceive God as the fire. Um, believers, the consuming fire. Um, non-believers, the consuming fire. Believers, um, the passionate fire. Right. And so uh, I want to more in that. So is heaven and hell, <laughs> are these places? Not the way that we think
0: of that. it. Depends right. Right. It depends on the of places. places. Right. Yeah. It depends on the places.
1: Right.
0: So heaven mm-hmm. is not up there and hell is not down there. Although phenomenologically, we talk in that way, and I don't think that's necessarily bad. We don't have to go to this extent, like, of course, heaven's not there and hell's not So, But there was debate in the, I'll say, Middle Ages for lack of a better term, between Orthodox and Catholics about whether uh, hell is material fire. <coughs> Are you actually going somewhere to burn in material fire? So what is what is eschatology? You, that, that's a $30 word, but eschatology is basically the theology of like end times because the eschaton, right? Christ returning. Uh, so when you were growing up Christ returning, what is that? What does that what did that mean to you? Um, when the roll is called up yonder, you'll be yeah, there. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Baptist, right? <laughs> church, Baptist, church of Christ, in too. On
0: uh, the roll, Baptist. Every Baptist. Baptist um, yeah. Um, yep.
1: <laughs> Funeral, that's the that Easter. Really? An yeah.
0: amazing grace.
1: That would be played at the church. but And on the way to the graveside, when everyone's called up yonder. Oh,
0: I kind of like that. That kind of has a liturgical t- feel to it. Yeah. I like it's Protestant, Protestant stuff. stuff. It's okay. <laughs> 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 I, this is what they like. I think we all go through different phases of how we're relating to what we grew up in, and I think it is a healthy place to not, I'm not trying to pick on you at all, i just. No, 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 it's fine. Where, because I went through it, there's this kind of like ugh, feeling of like, I don't like X, Y, and Z, it's why I'm not even like open to looking into something else. Uh, to they be able later on to be able, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've had this process with your own parents, where it's like you like get to your like early twenties or your late teens, and you like see every flaw of your parents, and you're still maybe you're dealing with that, or you will for the rest of your life because you actually see them as human beings yeah. and the flawed state of them, and being able to like process through that in different ways. I think it's the same way of like you grew up, and my 13 year old self and what I thought and what I gathered from what was being preached or taught might not actually be what was actually in the preacher or the sunday school class teachers but that's what i got so by the time i was 18 and i'm asking questions about like when we're resurrected that actually means like my body is going to be resurrected nobody made that clear when i was a kid or why do we think this or that right so i think being able to get to a point where you can appreciate like I still those some of those hymns that I sang for 20 years they're in me they ain't going away
1: or even um, praying with your eyes closed that's still in me I,
0: and like, there ain't nothing wrong with it yeah like
1: I, I just cannot not do it yeah
0: so I, I think what, what orthodoxy and this is also it goes the other direction becoming orthodox something I've talked about this few times like it takes a while for you to feel orthodoxy like not just like this is interesting this is cool or, you know uh to where you have a memory of a funeral of a close friend. right? So like funeral hymns or like memorial service. I have friends who have now, I've been Orthodox long enough, I've had close friends and people that I always remember every time that I uh, do the divine liturgy. Uh, those hymns, I go back to, I think, Rhode Island and a Greek church, uh, and then St. Tikhon's Monastery, where uh, a friend of mine, protodeacon, passed suddenly. From heart issues, who basically taught me how to serve as deacon and all sorts of stuff. So like I, when those hymns come in, that my I, I have that, and I have an emotional attachment to that that I didn't really have before. I liked them, I appreciated them, I thought they were good. But singing when the role is caught up there ain't nothing you can replace. And wearing a starchy shirt with a tie, like practically you know, or whatever, and you know that your aunt, well you know all that stuff. That's fine. That's good. I don't think... And to be able to appreciate certain hymns. And other ones would be like, yeah, that was heretical, Because <laughs> some of them just straight up... Or that was just, like, really sentimental in a way that... And he walks with me, and he, he talks, talks with, with me, you. and he tells me I am his <laughs> so, That's
1: more, more so for the Methodist churches,
0: not Baptist. So Church of Christ stole from everybody indiscriminately. <laughs> it didn't matter. I don't I think know. we actually knew... Whatever. I'm not <laughs> I don't think we knew what we were doing. I think we just like, oh, we like that song. Yeah, there, there wasn't much theological. Now, it could be I oh, love the Church of Christ in my early twenties, so maybe that was I know there was debates about stuff. But anyways, my point being like there is a need to be able to get to a point where you can appreciate without it just being a knee jerk reaction. I'm not saying that you're having one, but I just appreciate what you can, love what you can and be thankful that you were exposed to Christ, that you knew were exposed to Scripture, that now you can be thankful that you feel like you got the full portrait, you got the full picture now, and can better understand it. Uh, so the end of time is Christ's returns. and the phrase from Scripture that I think is the best way to hang all of this on is when Paul talks about God being all in all. We are, and this is like reflected in the Psalms, even right. God has, in Jesus Christ specifically, has made Himself uh, present to all human condition, living, dead, etc. Right, going, experiencing death Himself. So when God is all in all, we're, we are returning in a sense to the beginning, where the Garden of Eden. Right, we're going back to paradise. Everything is going to be restored, renewed, transfigured. But that has never meant, therefore, because God always works with our free will. This is throughout scripture. In fact, St. John Chrysostom talks about, who talks about hell the most in scripture is actually Jesus talks more about hell than anybody else. Uh, So when we are talking about heaven and hell, we're not talking about Dante's Inferno and Dante's Paradiso we, because I, or like um, Milton's Paradise Lost or like, we have to, <clears throat> the, the sources of the tradition and the way that we think about these things is that we all are resurrected, we all stand before the dread judgment seat of Christ as we say in the liturgy and we will all be judged for the things that we've done in the body, to use St. Paul's language. Now <clears throat> the reality is That we don't get shuffled off down away from God's presence downstairs into the firing pit, and then other people get to go play badminton and have lemonade up in the clouds, right? Or they
1: go to heaven and rest.
0: Yeah, and they just hang out, right? Like the reality is a renewed world, and that we exist in the presence of God. Now, some of this is like, feel like we, you could recognize Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead right? He had a body. It's probably the reason why he ate fish and why he he showed himself that he was risen from the dead. But there's also, and we know, he could walk through walls and people didn't always immediately recognize him. Because I think there is some kind of like, he is who he is and he has a resurrected body, but there's a sense in where he's also been transformed because his body has gone through death and now is resurrected. So, I think when we're talking about this I am saying we have some concept of what it's going to be like but we also need to be able to say like we don't fully understand what exactly that resurrected renewed sense is like so there's some kind of distance between our experience here because we only know fallen creation and fallen existence and our bodies are all going to die <clears throat> so we all are going to be in the presence of God so the theme throughout scripture is and. Reson- Sorry, the theme throughout that resounds through the tradition is not a downplaying of hell, but it is kind of repositioning or talking about hell in a different sense than what we probably grew up thinking—a material fire or some bright like, place. Where you- but it is the experience of the presence of God and His love as a fire, uh, a purifying fire, like metaphorically. That we have, I mean, this is kind of the whole extent of what we've been talking about. What is your desire? What do you love? Where, where, what are you doing with your body? How are you living into the kingdom? And the end manifests everything that you've been doing. So you've either, in a sense, like purified your heart and are, these are different metaphors that the fathers use. you're kind of like storing up for yourself uh, in a heavenly body, because it's like Paul's language at the end of 1 Corinthians, right? Like we, physical body, or we sow a spiritual body, that there's a sense in which we stand before God and are actually able to love him. And so we experience that fiery aspect of God Almighty. We experience it as love. We experience it because we've already trained ourselves that way. So there's all sorts of debates. If you get into the orthodox internet world uh, because you will have uh, certain fathers who will talk about a hope that all would be saved at one point.
3: Yeah, say
0: so it's it's a little bit of a, a, a debate about St. Nyssa and what he's actually saying and what St. Maximus the Confessor, and it's a little bit more ambiguous. I think there's a lot of folks who say, like, this is what it is, but it's more ambiguous than what they read out. And I think you all know that I've been reading a whole lot of St. John Chrysostom, and he actually brings up hell quite a bit. Uh, I'd probably say certain homily series, he probably like one every three or four homilies he brings it up. And the way that he approaches hell is that it's kind of a pedagogical thing. Uh, because we have a lot of varied motivations as to w- why we might do things. And it may be like going to the doctor you know, guys are infamous for this, right? Like, we will wait to the last bloody second before, like, something is literally, like, yeah, our, a bone is exposed. Is when we'll actually go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's cross-cultural. <laughs> it's just dudes. <laughs> uh, it's okay, Sebastian. I'm the same way. Uh, I, I, I think there is. I just distracted myself doing going down that. Um,
2: pedagogical.
0: Pedagogical. Thank you. <laughs> That the, some of us are motivated and can just be drawn by the promise of reward. Or some of us can be drawn by love and the purification. Some of us, at different times in our life, need a consequence. <laughs> and saying, like, if I continue down this way, I am storing up judgment and damnation for myself. I'm already experiencing that because he talks about like the three youth in the fire in the Book of Daniel. He talks about like aren't they experiencing hell, <laughs> and like in a, like in a way that they're literally in this life experiencing hell. So he extrapolates for that like there are situations in our life we talk about this all the time like we're experiencing hell. This is hellish. Well, for him he's like okay, then take that experience and turn it towards God and like repentance and moving away from any kind of sins or things in your life. So. Chris is and he talks about this when he brings up hell because he can be pretty explicit, like you don't want to go where the worm, you know, never dies and the fire is not quenched. But then he says, "I say this, so even like I say this, not to like scare you or to, but to encourage you to just talk about and be realistic about this is what happens with sin." So, in all of that is that therefore hell is just a pedagogical thing. Uh, I would, I am not comfortable going that direction and just saying it's just. God saying can you think of it like a parent who's saying like you're going to get this consequence and then never actually following through on the consequence I don't really think I, I, the tradition has this contemplation of that there is some kind of punishment because God is not going to just destroy our will because at the end of the day if he's going to force everyone into heaven that's what would have to happen now there is a lot of di- kind of differentiation between those who side more towards uh, hell is going to be really uh, low population. Like Hitler and Stalin are going to be like, hanging out. This is obviously very drawing for a century here, right? Like uh, We're very uncomfortable with the sense of judgment generally. Uh, and I understand that. But I think that we need to if we really struggle with it, it's something we can suspend judgment on and be able to, like, focus on other things because it may not pedagogically be helpful for you. Uh, in the fathers of some somebody, let's say somebody is really struck with and struggling with, like, I'm going to go to hell, I'm going to go to hell, I'm going to go to hell, I'm not, I'm going to, I'm pastorally, I'm not going to go, like, <coughs> yeah. <laughs> You're going to hell. I'm going to be like, let's not focus on that right now. Let's focus on other things. Like, let's, you're going to contemplate you're like don't do the prayers in the morning prayers that's all about like save me because you know that you did not strike me down dead when I was (laughs) in my sins right we're gonna you're just gonna do the Jesus prayer right There, there are this is where that pedagogical pastoral aspect of like it really depends on where you're at what's going on, and it might be some people, I don't feel traumatized at all by the fact that I heard some fire and brimstone preaching when I was a kid. Actually, back and I think that was actually helpful for me when I was 13. (laughs) (laughs) I don't feel traumatized. Other people, they might have felt traumatized by some of those things, or that they are still trying to wrap and they are really messing with, wrestling with, not messing with, God loves me. So I am not going to pastorally focus on like stoking the fires of hell for them. I'm going to be stoking the fires of love for God and what God loves you because He actually went down into Hades and like <laughs> He snapped you out of there and you just I need mean, to grab on to Him and have faith and love and trust Him. Okay. So the reality of the Orthodox Church is teaching is that there is a heaven and there's hell. It's not necessarily physical places. It is a state of the soul of the, in the afterlife and the second coming that we are going to experience the presence of God, either as heaven or as a hellish existence. Yes?
3: So um, as a Protestant theologian, I used to think of um, eschatology as this abstract, uh, chronological point in the future. Right. But what I'm getting from orthodoxy is that eschatology is like the coming together of everything. So I was thinking, in the same way we say things like, I'm going through hell right now. What daily experiences make me say I'm going through heaven right now? Yeah. Right? And it's something like experiences where many things come together. Like my my, my wedding, you know, like family coming together, our past, present, and future coming together. It's like those experiences that are, are kind of lifting where God kind of feels everything.
0: That's why the about. eschatological table is a wedding feast yeah Yeah. I mean like we have all these natural experiences uh that we I've been reading Christensen's baptismal instructions very beginning when he starts baptismal instructions he's like basically welcome to your wedding day basically right you are this is a spiritual marriage and you're being enlisted in the army (laughs) he like mixes because he talks how Paul in Ephesians says this exact same thing right like there is We use all of these metaphors and these things in order to get across a a truth. That is why when we're going over the liturgy, we're talking about during the anaphora where we remember the second coming. Because Christ is coming to us in the Eucharist. Christ comes to us in our brother or sister, uh, as in other humans, right? Not just your natural brother and sister. Uh, Christ comes to us every second of every hour of every day. The reality is we typically are diffused or distracted. or So I, I think Orthodox understanding of sin is, yes, there's some aspects of, like, I've broken the rules. But phenomenologically or, like, experientially, it is more that we are distracted or that we, resu- we worship or pay attention, rather, to things that aren't God. And we, instead of using things in moderation, we tend to overindulge or use that as a way of coping, as opposed to faith, hope, and love in God. Yeah, it's breaking the rule, right? Like, we're not made to do that, but I think there's a lot of different ways to talk about that.
2: So, just to clarify, what I'm getting from this is the Orthodox Church doesn't know. They don't have, like, they don't have a (coughs) clear teaching on... On and hell. There's a
0: clear teaching, it's just not the same thing as, like, uh, I feel like there's a, almost an overabundance of um, certainty in other places about where people are going. Mm-hmm. And Orthodox are much more prone to reserving judgment and saying, you know what, I need to actually pay attention and tend to myself, mm-hmm. as opposed to like all those heathens out there are just going to go burn in the seven pits of hell.
2: Sure, but even attending to ourselves, I mean, I feel like that is a huge question to wrestle with. I mean, I've certainly struggled with the question of heaven and hell throughout life. I went through, like, my hell crisis at college of, like, multiple days of just being totally distraught the whole yeah. idea. Mm-hmm. But the sense that, uh, like, life seems too short a time to determine eternity, and if I cannot, if I don't, if there is a chance that my children may go to hell, does it not seem better never to have children because I would rather take the risk of not existing than ending up in eternity in some sort of, like, eternal torment? It doesn't seem worth it.
0: <laughs> right. So I think that would be a situation where I... If I was pastoral, if you were coming to me and talking to me about that, I would talk about <coughs> the trust in God, that he is a good and loving God <coughs> and that basically all of life is basically... <laughs> Gamble is not the right word, but we're always, I'm not talking about heaven and hell there, just like having children or not, we need to be able to, and the freedom, and allow them the freedom to be able, because we can't at the end of the day, no matter what, no matter how well we attend and pray for and try to raise kids, they still have the freedom to be able to decide And instead of just looking at what could possibly go wrong, also to be able to appreciate and look at, like, what Sebastian's saying, like, what is the heaven aspect? Like, what could possibly actually go really, really great? Usually it's a mix of the both. Because life is complicated. But I think we know and we say it over and over again, he's a good and loving God. This is who we trust in. And we just trust ourselves to him. We commit ourselves to him. He's good and faithful to us. Yeah.
2: You know the hymn, Blessed Assurance? (laughs) Jesus is mine. mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I definitely get the sense that the Orthodox Church does not abide by blessed assurance. That (coughs) the view of salvation is a purifying, maybe process isn't the right word, but just a purification.
0: So in Protestant circles... I've had Lutherans especially go on about this. you get the, there is blessed assurance because we know who God is, but it does not function in the same way that a lot of Protestants Be- the reason being' kind of what we've kind of hit on when you have and a lot of Protestant theology, it is basically you had everything like your bank account was zero or negative forty five. Jesus came along, filled it back up, and gave you a little bit more. uh, That transactional aspect of things, that's why you can have that blessed assurance. Because this also gets all wrapped up in kind of Calvinistic stuff, too. Uh, I don't know if that song means everything that like a Calvinistic, kind of like, once saved, always saved aspect. but I don't know how to read scripture and where Paul says, like, work out your salvation with fear and trembling right. and, and walk away with that. I'm just like, I'm not supposed to worry about anything. Like, right. my, my salvation is completely, like, set and secure. But I think it is set and secure in <coughs> Jesus Christ. The question is, it's a question of me. Where, where am I in that? It's not a question of who God is and what God has done. It is a question of whether or not I'm going to actually live into that.
1: We have assurance in who God is and his dominion over his creation. And
0: love for us and that love he for us. S- sent his son and etc. Right. And
1: yeah. It's just not, it, it's not
3: the soul of the lost assurance. Correct. Yeah, because he allows us to make a choice. And over the, and over again. The question is are we choosing him?
2: Hmm? So, what about things like the Passion of Perpetua? Have you
0: read that? It's been a very long time. <laughs>
2: Well, in summary, it's basically kind of this martyr from the first century. And she has like this vision. She's in prison, they're going to be executed. She has this vision of heaven and hell. And in that vision, similar to other writings, there's like an uh, uh, apocrypha of Peter or something Mm -hmm. that also is extremely explicit. And it's like, you know, it was as explicit as like, if you are a mother who had an abortion, you will be like stuck in mud up to your waist and your aborted baby will like shoot lightning into the eyes. For all eternity, like that's the kind of and like all
3: these
2: sins that are connected to you know punishment connected to sins or whatever. Um, I mean that that sounds very different to how is the experience of God's love for those who reject God.
0: Right. So in the tradition of the church, there's all sorts of different things. There's also the reality of like, all right, let's see. All of this stuff is written by ecclesiastical writers, as in, like, Orthodox people. Would there be an issue or two in some of the essays in there that I'd be like, I don't really think this is a great way of talking about this? Yes. Is the tradition a kind of blanket, like every single thing that has ever been written by somebody who is an Orthodox Christian is okay? That's not the case. So with something like that, I'd have to go through and actually look at and read the actual context. and what is going on. I also think with that latitude, there is, I mean, John of Damascus and, I'm trying to think, it's very clear in John of Damascus what we're talking about. So he's accepted as one of the kind of doctrinal teachers of the Orthodox faith. So to account for every single writing, I don't know how to account for every single writing. Uh, I do think that because there is latitude uh, within the tradition, that means that there's going to be things That'll be written that are going to be especially for a 21st century person very jarring that to them back then that would have been no different from basically anything else in any other quarter of wh- what they would have heard and experienced so <laughs> I don't have an easy answer for that yeah. Christmas Simmons can be really strong about stuff
1: something okay that I think of wouldn't we're describing as you're going through and expanding on this idea of heaven and hell in some sense being in the same, for lack of a better term, place, mm-hmm. and we're just experiencing it differently. I almost liken it to, and i saying if this makes sense or if this is accurate in any way, uh, what we see in the world today with people, people that do reject God, when you come at them or when they're in a in that setting, they get almost fussy and it, you can almost read into a sense of torment mm-hmm. that they're experiencing by being exposed to the love and truth that is God mm-hmm. is that in some way an image of that
0: so I could think as I'm thinking a little bit more about like something like talking about uh, aborted babies basically being a penance a, he- a hellish existence afterwards that also sounds like if you're like I'll say psychoanalytically or just kind of like that basic reality of, like, the weight of the sin of what you did is going, like, weighs on you and torments you, which is something that, like, I think, like, I've heard confessions and been told women who have committed abortions, and they feel the weight of that, and they feel the torment of those things. So I can totally see, I think there is, in the literature, that is something kind of Dante-like in the sense of, like, if you read, like, Buddhist stuff, the Buddhist stuff is, like, Thirty times more intense Dante. than like Dante stuff, <laughs> but that in those metaphorical kind of like, Chris often does this too. He loves to talk about like uh, monsters and like things, and like he'll like talk about how sin makes us look like a monster. He even like describe what it's like to be that this metaphorical. And I'm not saying metaphorical therefore not true, but like the trying to get at. We do this all the time. We're trying to explain. I'm I'm mad as hell. <laughs> That metaphor itself is like, there's something about those things that I think <coughs> are exposing the weight of sin and the torment the, of the sins themselves that we live with if we don't repent of them and actually try to move away from those things. It's as I'm thinking more about processing, it's been a long time since I read the martyr, of Felicity and Perpetua, it's probably eight years ago. Now I'm going to have to go back and reread it. Yeah, I read Bart Ehrman's Heaven
2: uh, and Hell, but maybe I would
0: not trust Bart Ehrman, I'm just going to say that. <laughs> yeah, well... He is very biased, and he plays fast and loose with texts at certain places. Uh, I was at an a academy, American Academy of Religion, which is like the largest religious uh, conference, and he was one of the guys on a panel, and this was talking about a, a room of like 400 New Testament scholars, and one of his new books had come out, and he was going on and on about how the scribes were all like monophysites. Just, I can't remember off the top of my head, like, it had an adoptionist Christology. That if you actually read the original um, manuscripts of Mark and the baptism account, it's basically that Jesus, like, becomes Christ at his baptism. All that hangs with <laughs> And just, like, guy, New Testament scholar after New Testament scholar, just like, Actually, um, actually, uh, <laughs> if you actually read the psalm that is being quoted, and this and that, it's not actually an adoptionist Christology. It's just such and such. So it is. It is hard with somebody like Bart Ehrman, who had. Do you know any history about him and how he became? So he was a Moody Bible guy. Uh, I don't know if you guys know what Moody Bible. That's like very. It's like almost like Bob Jones for the North. Does that make any sense, Sebastian? Oh, I'm no, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Like, fundamentalist Christian, like, baptist yep. type, okay? Right? Like, so, he went from there to Princeton Theological Seminary, where he was certainly, like, Bruce Metzger and, like, some of the top, like, New Testament manuscript people, right? His transition, once he realized, because, for example, Orthodox isn't really a problem, but for certain types of evangelicals, I don't even say fundamentalists, that, like, they believe that God, like, almost like auto-right, God... Made in the original manuscripts, you read their confessions of faith. The original manuscripts is the inspired word of God because they're dedicated to this in a very particular way. Do you know how many original manuscripts we have? Zero. So it's already like you have faith in something that is impossible to disprove because you can always just say, Well, in the original manuscript, well, there is no original manuscript. Uh, He went, had a crisis of faith because he realized the kind of like positions that he held were really thin poles and the water came through and just washed it all out. And instead of moving his ideas of like what inspiration means or like what scripture could mean in the broader tradition, because that's not how the traditions ever really thought of it, uh, he lost his faith. So doesn't mean that there aren't good things there. It's just <coughs> I think I like got a librarian too, like networks of knowledge, like where is somebody coming from? Who's publishing them? If it's Harper San Francisco or something, like, there's probably money involved here. And it's almost always going to be around around Easter that they're going to publish another book that's like why Jesus really isn't. He's actually a Martian who smoked pot. Like, <coughs> in the 60s, there really was a book, an academic book that was about the disciples who were on shrooms, and their experience of the resurrected Jesus is because they're all high. Yeah. So... Uh, Heaven and hell in the Christian tradition is a varied thing. Uh, and it, uh, I'm trying to stick with like the basic understanding as opposed to like in the 15th century, there's this manuscript tradition that d- describes the ascent of this particular nun who died and she went through these toll houses of uh, blah, 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 all this stuff. And I'm just like, let's just, we don't really need to. Yeah. It, there is some sense in which all of these things, I believe, are the ultimate purpose of that kind of writing is to engender repentance in us. So I'm trying to focus on, like, what engenders repentance in us? What are the things that we can actually, at a catechumen class, like, actually process and do something with, as opposed to, and I'm not saying we don't try to do this, it's just, like, figure out the landscape of the afterlife. I don't know. God's going to. Almost did a Moses Hogan song. Do you guys know who Moses Hogan is? Yeah. God's gonna set this world on fire. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes a It's a, it's a black spiritual.
1: Uh, 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 God's uh, gonna uh, set
0: up the welcome table. Okay. Yes, yes. I have
1: a cousin who is atheist who, um, will go around the same um, idea that you had just mentioned, where you know, like Jesus was this pot smoking, weird <laughs> <and> guy, <laughs> and he's trying to convinced me that, you know, that the whole Bible is is all uh, economic and the truth is that the style... Oh, he's a Marxist. Reasons. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. But he's like a Jamaican Marxist, which is weird,
0: because Well, he maybe he'll become a Rastafarian next, and he can no, meld no. the pot and the Marxism. The <laughs> Rastafarians
1: are, are deeper into Old Testament yes, than yeah, yeah, yeah. Marxism. It's, yes. it's, it's like the opposite. It's like,
0: like... So they're more spiritualized. Yeah, way more yeah. spiritualized. All
1: right. So that's kind of where I'm lost, by the way, guys.
0: But but this is the the fascinating thing about like all of these tendencies. There was materialist tr- tendencies in the ancient world. It's not like everybody was like uh, into demons and angels and spirits. Like there there were democrats. There there were materialists in the ancient world. Uh, the reality is, I think m- almost everybody, everybody actually. Even Marxists have a structure of belief and they have an afterlife. They have some eschatological vision of what life is supposed to be like and what humans are supposed to do in order to attain to the heavenly realms. I mean, he was Jewish, so... um, Jesus or your cousin? Marx. Marx. (laughs) (laughs) Or Carl. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's it's a built-in. So is Yeah. So there is a structured revolutionary aspect that is still heaven oriented. It's just the utopia is here, not mm-hmm. in the next mm-hmm.
3: life. Eden is like the, the the post-capitalism world. That's Eden for Marx. Post-capitalism, mm-hmm.
0: the where everyone can like what is it? Fish in the morning and like do opera or something in the afternoon. I mean, there's a, he has a, an, an image of like heaven.
3: Yeah. No, no classes, no oppression, whatever. Yeah.
0: So no, all right. When all is all and everything is good. There you go. Yeah. All right. So, go should we move beyond heaven and hell? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Alright, before we move
1: on, yeah. <laughs> can we get like a physical summary as to the Orthodox perspective of the end days? How about
2: I just read this quote? Yeah. This is a good one from um, St. Isaac of Syria. Yes. Okay, please. And it was a very different way. When I first came to Orthodoxy, actually, one of the most interesting things was this different view of heaven and hell. As the like finding fire of but OK, so this is what it says. Um, it is the presence of God's splendid glory and love that is the scourge to those who reject its radiant power and the light to those who accept it. Here's a quote. Those who find themselves in hell will be chastised by the scourge of love. How cruel and bitter this torment of love will be! For those who understand that they have sinned against love, undergo no greater suffering than those produced by the most fearsome tortures. The sorrow which takes hold of the heart, which has sinned against love, is more piercing than any other pain. It is not right to say that the sinner in hell is deprived of the love of God. But love acts in two ways, a suffering of those reproved and joy in those who are blessed.
0: There's a good summary. <laughs>
3: Very
0: nice. Is that the coffee shop? <laughs> 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 yes. This is like clapping. <laughs> I can give you books if you want to read more. Uh, part part this one?
3: I, <laughs> 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 I have one last comment about the topic of okay. heaven and earth. Um, Just kidding. <laughs> earth. Sorry, like, sorry. For <laughs> on earth, no. <laughs> Um. May I mean, there is always a context. Like, there is a reason why things are written. Even in the most raw descriptions of of hell, there is a reason. May, maybe that was directed to a time that was extremely like. Uh, they,
0: they. In, I mean, you exposed your child if you didn't want them.
3: Yeah. I mean, like wolves they, would
0: come and basically eat your baby.
3: Like they needed to read that, but if I'm like reading that and I'm. Like terrified about hell, I have to have something like spiritual intelligence to know. Okay, I need to read uh, like I need to read about heaven now, because I've got too much of this. So it's like there is a time for everything. I think.
0: I also think we like a lot of you guys in here have been Christian for some time, right? You grew up around things. So think about the second or third century, (laughs) where like what I just said about like babies being exposed (coughs) and wolves coming and eating your baby, like. That was the norm, like it was an economic and just kind of like a thing that you did, right uh in the ancient world, they knew they found a brothel because they basically had a pit of baby baby boys' bones in a particular part, and they knew they found a brothel because baby boys they would basically just expose and kill baby girls they can make money eventually. So we're talking about a world that did not have a value for human beings in the way that Christianity start, like had to get people to think about the consequences of what they're doing in a way that we're 2,000 years after. <laughs> and even <clears throat> while we may be in this country going towards like post-Christian world, the whole idea of human rights is Christian. Mm-hmm. That is not Aristotle. <laughs> That is not Rome. That is not the bar the German barbarian <laughs> like that is the the Germanic tribes. That is not China. That is not that is no ancient culture that had this idea of the like uh, immortal inherent value of a human being. Period. Do Christians always live up to that? No. <laughs> have Christian civilizations quote unquote lived up to that? No. Do they still have the ideal? And do they have voices within somebody like St. John Chrysostom who would speak out against the vainglory of the empress? Or just go down the list, right? Like, so uh, there is, I think especially in discoursing about sin, et cetera, we're used to it a lot outside of the church. There's all sorts of discoursing about sin. Let's not use the word sin people doing things wrong (laughs) and needing to pay for it, even monetarily, right? That there's some sense of justice that needs to occur. And that is not outside of the Christian discourse about what we as humans owe to our creator. By, oh, I'm not trying to get, like, it's just, this is who we are. We're a creature, and we owe to our creator the honor, glory, and things, and to live the way that he created us to be otherwise we bring hell into existence, which is basically what we did. Mm-hmm. Through the, t- the tempting, the prompting of Satan. So, <coughs> baptism and chrismation. We've got 15 minutes here. Uh, who has seen an orthodox baptism before? Nobody else. I highly suggest, even though it's going to be a baby this Sunday, if you can come at 8 a.m. I'm going to be baptizing a baby, and then these two are going to be chrismated. We'll be there. Uh, <laughs> I can't do chrismation in, a, uh, in absence, but uh, and being able to even just see the chrismation service because it's a little bit different. Uh, because they've already been Trinitarianly baptized, the chrismation aspect is something that is done after the fact. Uh, I will basically, you'll get chrismated with the kid, but they'll be while they are dressing Marianne in her white outfit. You guys uh, will be. I'll basically go through and do um, the confession, faith, absolution, etc. So, the baptismal service is, as I show here, it starts out (coughs) with exorcisms. Uh, Let's just read this first exorcism. The Lord put you under ban, O devil, he who came into the world and made his abode among men, that he might overthrow your tyranny and deliver men, who also upon the tree did triumph over the adverse powers. When the sun was dark and the earth did quake, the graves were opened, and with sorry, and the bodies of the saints arose, who also by death annihilated death and overthrew him who exercised the dominion of death, that is you, the devil. I charge you by God, who revealed the tree of life, and arrayed and ranks the cherubim of the flaming sword, which turned all ways to guard it the under ban. By charge you by Him who walked upon the surface of the sea, as if it were dry land, and laid under His ban the tempest of the winds. It's a very apocalyptic imagery here, right? Like I, God, who overthrew the tyranny of the devil, who uh, has revealed the tree of life and the angels that surround it, is banning and throwing out the demons. Right? This is the God who is the Creator. The same now through us put you under ban, fear be gone, depart from this creature and return not again, neither hide yourself in him or her, neither to seek to meet them, influence them either by night or by day, either in the morning or noonday, But to depart, hence to your own infernal abyss until the great day of judgment which is ordained. Fear God, and then we have a kind of typical image that we are used to from the, the prayers of God who sits upon all of the angels, who is the creator of all things. And depart from this sealed newly enlisted warrior of Christ our God. Etc., <laughs> so these exorcisms are done. Uh, first, the one who's to be baptized has the priest blow in the sign of the cross on their face. Uh, you can see, all of these it's not just words, it's also liturgical actions. So, there is the, a new breath basically, right? That's in done in the sign of the cross over the one who's to be baptized basically breathing life into them. Can you can think of creation. There's a lot of creation elements that are, are coming here. It's very gen, early Genesis and Psalms, right? Like you, you, you can see in this exorcism. Uh, there are, I think there's four exorcisms. They're similar. I wasn't going to put every single one. You're welcome if you want. If you just put OCA baptism text or something like that, the PDF of this book will pop up. So if you want to read through it all, you're more than welcome to. After all, the exorcisms we have what are called the renunciations and adhesions. Uh, these are, this all happens in the narthex. We don't really have a narthex anymore right? because we destroyed the walls. But uh, in the narthex area, this all happens there because this is kind of preliminary rites uh, before the baptismal service. The renunciations and adhesions is an ancient thing. Chrysostom talks about it. Uh, it is something that was done very early in the church. So the renunciations, do you renounce Satan and all his works and all his angels and all his service and all his pride? If it's a baby, the sponsor is the one who's answering on behalf of the baby. If it's an adult, obviously, they renounce him. They renounce Satan three times. And then there's the this repetition that occurs. We're Orthodox. We're going to repeat things over and over again. I also think there's a ritual element to this. Just humans do this. Uh, the priest saying, have you renounced Satan? Then the, you are, this whole time you're not facing east, you're facing west. We, do you all remember why we face east? Face east? Sunrise. Christ. It's where the sun rises. Or this is where resurrection, right? Like we're heading towards resurrection land. Um, the child t- you spit on Satan, and uh, Middle East to spit on somebody is kind of like throwing your shoe at them, right? Like it's like the most... Too? Not mean, Sorry. but... Uh, insulting. Insulting, thank you. I couldn't find the word, yeah. Do we actually spit? Like do we spit? <laughs> <coughs> if we were in a, in, a, in a better shaped space where like the actual narthex and then the outside, I would have you. I would open the door and just have you spit outside. We used to do that, but because everything is so weird, like I might start doing it where we face because I'm trying to keep east and west, but we're not. It's not even east and west in here because the sure, trip like that is not. Put a line. <laughs> 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 not south. <laughs> so. Uh, oh, it is. Yeah, we. Uh, this is that's east. It, roughly, this is east-west, north-south, because the the turnpike runs east-west, mm-hmm. roughly. It's not perfect. It's kind of
1: diagonal. Yeah, it's kind of it diagonal. From Clinton to Kingston. Which yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: Could you have people like spit in a cup? No, I don't want to keep the
0: coat. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, we've done in the past, I might just do it here at the door and then just basically open the door and have people spit out again. I just haven't gotten it. Especially, I, I've gotten out of the habit because we had 27 come in at once and oh, that was oh wow. just like not everybody's baptized. Oh, was it, it was still, it was just, that was a circus. Just trying to maintain order. Because there's a lot of <laughs> liturgical movement happening here. Uh, after that, after the renunciation and the spitting on Satan, you turn around to the east and then there is the adhesion or the un- uniting with Christ which the same questions and then the confession of faith whereby the creed is recited or read and then the questions again in the confession that who is God, down, bow down before Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity one in essence and undivided okay, this is the end basically, uh, and we move into the nave, where the baptismal font would be. Uh, there's a litany that occurs, there's Blessed is the Kingdom because it's a sacrament, just like the beginning of the liturgy, so it's Blessed is the Kingdom of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that starts it. There's a litany. The litany, there's special, it's the Great Litany, like what we do at a liturgy, but it has special petitions for the one who's about to be baptized, the one who's about to receive the heavenly waters of Jordan, like that, that kind of language is all through the litanies. And this is the first great uh, prayer at the blessing of the baptismal water. The priest stands at the font with his arms up, uh, with this hymn of praise, basically to God, greater thou Lord and marvellous, are thy works, and there's no word which suffices to him thy wonders. And then it's basically a prayer uh, to the Creator uh, that who could not uh, endure to see mankind oppressed by the devil, he comes down uh, in Jesus Christ. And uh, if we go down to the end here. If you could see, Thou couldst not endure to behold mankind oppressed by the devil. But Thou that's come and did save us. We confess Thy grace. We proclaim Thy mercy. We conceal not Thy gracious acts. Thou hast delivered the generation of our mortal nature by Thy birth. Thou didst sanctify a virgin's womb. All creation magnifies Thee who has revealed Thyself. For Thou, our God, has revealed Thyself upon the earth and has dwelt among men. For thou didst hallow the streams of Jordan, sending down upon them from heaven. Thy Holy Spirit, and its crushed the heads of the actually the, the translation is dragons who lurked there, not just demons. Dragons. Because dragons is a theme all through the Old Testament. Uh is actually, I would suggest, with some caveats, I don't know if you all know did you mention Bible project at some point? Yes. They're doing a series right now on you dragons home, yeah. and it's really good. Uh the little things here there I'd just be like, it would really help if you knew the rest of the tradition that keeps going or just like so that you could expand on it. Uh, but it's called the Bible Project. It's not, like, the Christian Tradition Project. <laughs> uh, although I think if you had the Christian Tradition, you wouldn't be so lost as to, like, have your have your whole world up turned upside down of, like, these language and the way that Scripture talks about dragons, serpents, all echoing Genesis, right? There is some sense of the supplanter or the one who works against us, uh, like Leviathan, like these kind of things, that this this theme throughout scripture, even the book of Revelation, right? <coughs> yeah. So, if you want to, they've done quite a few right now. Again, caveat I wouldn't like impromptu, right, or like say every single thing that is said there is great, but it's a lot better than other stuff that you're going to get. Yeah, like, this is a nice metaphor. It's like there's more going on than just a metaphor.
3: Quick comment, uh, Tim Mikey, the founder of Bible Project. He's struggling a lot because like he's been into the Bible's imaginal worldview for so long that he's struggling trying to find a place where he can actually participate of that imagery and he's like getting less and less content with the Protestant world.
0: Well, because they don't,
3: they don't. They don't.
0: Because you don't know, I mean, when you are cut off from the tradition, by tradition, I just mean the. Not imaginal world, but like imaginational world, not like made up, but just I'm gonna say Semitic for lack of a word. Like, just second temple Jewish that is like just assumed and then like we have Saint George killing a dragon and we're just like, Yeah, you kill the dragon. We mean that metaphorically and maybe even really. <laughs> like that's okay. Right? Like there there is this sense in the world is like, none of that stuff, it, it can't exist. Uh, well, it depends parts of circles, right? There. You're, you're coming from a Pentecostal background. I don't know.
2: Pentecostal, but that's spiritual warfare.
0: Spiritual right. warfare, yeah. But they will, they will do, like, a deep Old Testament dive is usually missing or want, knowing what to do with it. And mm-hmm. that that is kept. Anyways, okay. So there is then the blessing of the water, again, where the priest breathes in the sign of the cross. Uh, on the water that is to become the baptismal water. Wherefore, King, who loves mankind, come, come thou now and sanctify this water by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. What does that sound like? And the priest breathes on the water and the sign of a cross, and then he says, Wherefore, King, who loves mankind, come thou now and sanctify this water by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Genesis 1. Yeah. Genesis 1. Let's keep reading, and then I'm going to ask that question again. And grant to it the grace of redemption, the blessing of Jordan. This is on page 3 now. Uh, make it the fountain of incorruption the gift of sanctification, the remission of sins the remedy of infirmities, the final destruction of demons, unassailable by hostile powers, filled with angelic might let those who ensnare thy creature flee far from it, for we have called upon the name of the Lord and is wonderful and glorious and awesome even unto adversaries then the priest takes with the sign of the cross and in the water says let all <coughs> adverse powers be crushed with the sign of the image of thy cross and does that three times and this is very similar to an anaphora for the Eucharist it's just done for the water right? you have a lot of the same movements of course there is no like exorcism aspect of the Eucharist but it's like come thou now and sanctify this water by the indwelling of your Holy Spirit it's, it is calling down the Holy Spirit to transform the water into grace filled Jordan water Right, like it is connecting our Lord's baptism to our baptism. So, there is. If we keep on, we don't have a whole lot of time. You all basically know what baptism is. You grew up in Christian circles, right? You died to sin, you are raised to resurrection. Romans six, right? All this language is just more flowery language of that basic truth, with some a little bit more depth than that. The, the thing that you might not be used to, of course, is chrismation. So this is the prayer for the blessing of the oil of, the, of chrismation. Uh, I'm skipping past the person who's baptized. You're baptized in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is a triple uh, immersion. Uh, you are then brought out. There is oil that is then uh, blessed. Sorry. You are oiled up before you get baptized, and then there is chrism. I'm skipping. This this prayer is for the oil that is applied to you before you're baptized. Uh, O Lord and Master, the God of our fathers, who did send unto them that were in the ark of Noah, thy dove, bearing in its beak a twig of olive, the token of reconciliation of salvation from the flood, the foreshadowing of the mystery of grace, and didst provide, the fruit of the olive, and the fulfilling of thy holy mysteries, who thereby dost fill them that were under the law with thy Holy Spirit. You can see a whole theology of the old testament and the fulfillment of the shadows in the grace of jesus christ and does perfect them that are under grace but it's also this holy oil with the power operation and dwelling of the holy spirit <clears throat> that may be an anointing unto incorruption armor of righteousness etc then the person to be baptized is anointed with the oil of gladness in the name of the father son and holy spirit this happens uh, on the head and then the breast and the shoulders unto the healing of soul and body, on the ears, unto the hearing of faith, the hands thy hands have made and fashion me, and then on the feet, that they may walk in the way of thy commandments. Then there's baptism. After the baptism is then chrismation. Uh, blessed art thou, O Lord God Almighty, source of all good things, son of righteousness, who did shed forth upon in in darkness the light of salvation, to the revelation of thine only begotten Son, our God, who has given unto us unworthy that we be Blessed purification through hallowed water and divine sanctification through life-creating chrismation, who now also has been graciously pleased to regenerate thy servant and has newly received illumination by water in the Spirit, and granted unto him remission of sins. <coughs> Do thou the same master, compassionate King of kings, grant also unto them the seal of the gift of thy holy and almighty and adorable Spirit. So the baptism in the sense of the Church is Jesus Christ forgiveness of sins, but then the sealing of the gift of the Holy Spirit is then being given the seal uh, being, having the Holy Spirit, right? So the seal, the gift of thy holy and almighty and adorable spirit, a participation in the holy body and precious blood of thy Christ. Keep them in thy sanctification, confirm them in the orthodox faith, deliver them from the evil one and from all his workings. Preserve their soul in purity and righteousness through saving fear of thee, and that they may please thee in every word indeed, and may be a child and heir of thy heavenly kingdom. Then the priest takes the chrism, and anoints and says on um, eyes, nostrils, lips, basically all the senses and the body receives in the sign of the cross the seal of the gift of the Holy Spirit with a prism. Is that all they did? Oh good, okay. Good. There's other things that happen. Uh, I didn't want to make it forever, never in any way, sort of time. Uh, the last thing after the chrismation, there is the three times around the baptismal th- font, where we sing, as many as have been baptized in Christ, have put on Christ. There is the reading of the epistle and the gospel. You can probably guess what the epistle is, it's Romans 6. The gospel is the end of Matthew, about, go therefore and baptize them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, then there is, the final thing is basically ablution, where you basically take off the chrism. Uh, you have been sanctified, you've been washed, you've been justified. Uh, basically, language of Paul from, if I remember correctly, I forget it's 1st or 2nd Corinthians. And then at the end, there is the tauntering, where basically you are offering a sacrifice to God through tauntering of offering of hair. Any questions? Sorry, I was like,
2: <laughs> I had a vocabulary question. Sure. Uh, in the, the reading for this, Um, This is just a technical term, but I was curious. It talks about infant baptism and how the baby is given back to the mother in the AMBO. And I wonder, what is the AMBO? A-M-B-O.
0: The AMBO or the AMVON is uh, the place where historically in the church, if you go to like Hagia Sophia, now anybody who's an expert in this might quibble with me here because I'm not a huge expert in church architecture. If you go to look at a reconstruction uh Augusta Sophia, and you can see this throughout like the Balkans, old Orthodox churches. This is also in like Rome and Ravenna and places you can find this. They didn't have pulpits in the way that we have. Like you might think of like 18th or 17th century like Catholic pulpits. They had this thing when you climb up on the side. You can find those in Orthodox churches too in certain places. Uh what they had was they basically had an elevated, so like let's say here's the altar. Here's the solea like where I preach, basically, right in front of the soleil. Uh-huh. Uh, it's mostly so I don't have to navigate up and down stepping. Uh, the Ambon would have been an elevated place where the gospel would have been read and the preacher would have gone up into. They would have walked up into this place. You can see manuscripts where it looks like they're on some kind of elevated platform that has stairs on either side. This is the Ambon, or the Ambo. Okay. So where a deacon goes now you can see the remnants of this out and then pre- does the gospel towards that is a shadow or an echo of going to the ambo and doing the gospel from there so like and a lot of this has to do with acoustics just straight up like how do you have somebody be able to preach mm. you go to the middle of the church and stand up in front of it like in like something like Agia Sophia, that had a big ambon, you would go up in the middle, and that's where you would preach from. So the prayer beyond the ambon, I don't actually go all the way out, but that uh, that prayer right before the dismissal that I do, that's a prayer beyond the ambon. When I, I should really go back behind the icon, but I just stand basically in front of the solea So that's what the ambo is. There are some who call the Solea the ambo too, because that's where the priest stands. <coughs> So, churching of babies is something that happens. Adults don't get churched. So, the baby that's coming has not been churched. It's basically being introduced into the life of the church. Uh, i probably just do the churching. The Greeks will do churching before baptism. Uh, this is basically like February 2nd. The uh, entrance of our Lord into the temple. It's like he's being introduced and being brought to the temple. That is what churching is for every kid. Okay, funny some questions just like a sentence and some it's like let me give you an encyclopedia <laughs> entry <laughs> about the history of the church and architecture and all this all right that's it lord now let us love thy servant depart in peace according to thy word for mine eyes have seen salvation which thou shalt prepare before the face of all people like to might the gentiles and the glory of thy people israel in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit Amen. Amen. oh i
3: have
2: a question
3: can you